Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Talking about my kids, uh, yeah. You as a church family have been very encouraging over the last two to three months because as you know, I'm 44 years old and bringing a brand new life into this world was absolutely terrifying. Um, So each week you would all come around me and encourage me and say, Brian, look, why are you worried? You know how to do this. This is like number five. So what are you concerned about? This is just old hat. You're just doing the same old thing. And, And I begin to believe you. Many of you told me that it's like riding a bicycle. You've done this a thousand times. You know what you're doing now. Can I all tell you from the bottom of my heart, you are all a bunch of filthy liars. (laughs) I've watched myself over the last three weeks hold this newborn baby as if he was gonna break. Not really knowing, having a clue. I can't get him trying to feed a bottle again. I'm like, how do I hold him? I've got him upside down because it's not going in and I'm just trying to, I'm yet to get this little sucker to burp. I can't do it. I'll try to feed him and I'll say, Chelsea, here. I can't even get him to burp. Then Thursday, Thanksgiving morning, I'm changing his his diaper. Look, I've got four kids. I've done this a million times. I know what I'm doing, right? Wrong. Changing his diaper on the couch. Mm-hmm. So I strip him, throw the diaper in the floor, and he's just laying there. I forget about that cold air thing, and all of a sudden, yeah, you guessed it. All over the couch, all over my face, all over my arm, and I'm going, Chelsea, the church told me that I would know what I'm doing. But you know, as I'm, we laugh about that and I see this and I, and I look at little baby Easton, what I've been reminded of is looking at a baby as a child, they are 100% helpless. There's nothing that a child can do without mama or daddy. Nothing a child can do. And so with that in mind, you know, this, this is gonna be a journey as a parent again. But being reminded of how helpless a child is, it gave me a fresh set of lenses, if you would, on this text that we're gonna be looking at today. Just how helpless a child is without the care of a mother and a father. There's absolutely nothing a child can do. They lay there, that's it. That's all they're capable of doing. And so as the Lord led me to the text that we're going to be looking at today, I want you to turn to, the, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and we're just going to look at eight verses this morning. And today kicks off our new Christmas series, if you would, entitled Prepare the Way. I shared with this just a little bit last week of where we're going to be headed, because if we're not careful, Christmas becomes all about talking about the events of Christmas. 
We always celebrate and we're never gonna stop celebrating the birth of Christ. But if we're not careful, we will be so focused on the, on the wise men. We'll be so focused on Mary and Joseph and the baby that we completely forget about what all of it's about. Yes, we understand that Jesus came, but the big question that we wanna answer over the next several weeks is the why. Why did Jesus come? Why was he sent? Why did, the, why did our heavenly father send his only son? And today we're gonna unpack two of those reasons that are written very, very clearly in this text. So I want you to read with me in 1 John chapter three, and we're gonna read verses one through eight together. It says, see how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. You probably already kind of know now while we set the stage the way we did talking about babies. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. We will know that when, when, when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verse four, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and, the, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, here we go. This is number one reason why he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Verse seven, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Then verse eight, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. Here's the second reason of today. The son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. God, we thank you that it is so clear the why you were sent. And so God, I pray that as we unpack these two reasons, that we would leave here today completely changed in confidence and knowing, God, that when we were completely helpless, you as our father did what we could not do. So God used your word today, God, to remind us how in love with you we should be because of what you've done for us. And God, will praise you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Before we unpack these two reasons, there's a couple of things that I do want us to look at that'll help us better comprehend and understand um, these two reasons why. First, if you look back in verse one, it says, see how great a father's love bestowed on us that he would be called children of God. The thing that I want you to take about from that verse is the fact that our heavenly father is said there that he bestowed his love upon us. That word bestowed is a fancy word for basically given a gift, given us something that we do not deserve. It means that it's not earned, it's not worked for. Same thing with my, with my little newborn baby Easton. He's had to do nothing to earn my love. I love him because he's mine. He's, he has no accomplishments yet. He has not succeeded in any way, shape or form yet, but I love him because he's mine. And this is a gift that I give to him. And that's the same way that our heavenly father loves us. He gives us his love. 
even when we're undeserving, even when we've done nothing to achieve it or earn it. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He was already displaying his love for us before we had ever done anything for him. And so the fact that he bestows his love upon us, we have to understand that it is a free gift given by God. He loves us because we are his children. Same way that I love my children, same way that you love your children. You love them because they're yours. And when we bestow that love on them, when we give them that love, what we also have to understand is that when we give them this, now those children are our responsibility. They are our responsibility. We have to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. We have to feed them, we have to change diapers, we have to do all of those things because they are completely helpless. In order for them to get anything accomplished at this stage in life, as these babies, as children, we have to do it for them. So not only do we love them, but we are taking on full responsibility of doing what they cannot do. What they cannot do. But then we go on and read in this text, these eight verses. We see some four different times, I believe it is, that John makes reference to, to a child. He makes reference to a children or a, a child of God, beloved. And he's constantly reminding the believers in these eight verses that you are a, not an adult of God, not a mature follower of God, but you are a child of God. And so what he's wanting us to understand that he's saying, look, you are a child of God. This means that the God of the universe is giving you his love, but not only that, the God of the universe is going to take full responsibility for you. The God of the universe is going to do for you what you have no ability to do for yourself. And I don't know about you, but in my sinful nature, in my habits and all of the mess ups that I am entangled in, I am thankful that I serve a heavenly father who can do for me what I cannot do for myself. And that is him taking on full responsibility for me. Doing for me what I cannot do for myself. And so when we think about looking at little babies, I just got the visual this week of saying, you know what? That's exactly what I am like in the hands of my heavenly father. I'm capable of doing nothing for myself through the lenses of eternity. But this is where God says, you know what? I'm giving you my love, but I'm also taking full responsibility. And I'm gonna do for you what you can't do for yourself. And we're gonna unpack that even more. So we see now what two reasons that we've already read in the text of why Jesus came. Chapter three, verse five, we see the very first reason. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And you say, well, Brian, how, how is that possible? Because I get it that Jesus came to take, that he came to die, that he lived a perfect life, but how did he come to take away sins? Because I still sin. I still make mistakes. What we have to understand is again, how this text is written. 
All throughout the Bible, when you see the word sin or you see the word sins or you see transgressions or you see iniquity, what we first have to understand is the text in which it is written or the context and how it's used. Because when we see the word sin, it's used two different ways. Number one, in the, probably the way that all of our minds are wired, we look at sin as kind of in the verb form. You all know that that's the action word. And so we see there that in our minds, if we read that on the surface, we think that, that God, that Jesus came to take away the action part of our sins, that he came to take away the verb form of the word because the verb form is the act of the wrongdoing, the act of sinning. The word sin is originated from an archery term. It's talking about missing the mark is what it's meaning. So it's an action word of missing the mark of holiness. It's the action word of us participating in sin. But through studying of this text, what we realize is that's not the form in which the word sin is used here. It's not used in the verb form. What he's talking about here is used in the noun form. And when we talk about that, we're saying that this, the context of this word is in noun form, meaning that the word sin stands for the state of being. So what that means is the word sin is the identity of who you are. That sin is the identity, it's describing who you are. So therefore it's an adjective in that sense. But when we look at that, the state of being a sinner. And so when we're wrapping our minds around, what, what, what does that mean? If he's talking about the state of being a sinner, what does it mean that Jesus came and took that away from us? Because what we gotta realize is that outside of Jesus Christ, your identity and my identity before we had an encounter with him, our identity was sin. Our identity was a sinner. Our identity was a mess. And so the fact that we read here, it's just ought to be mind blowing to all of us that the state of our being before Christ is that we were not just sinners, but we were sin. And this is something that even David was pleading about in Psalms chapter 51. You don't have to turn there. It's gonna be on the screen just for the sake of time. But the Psalmist writes, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. The NIV reads it this way. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The New Living Translation reads it like this. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. This is the state of our being at birth. We were all sinners. We were all a mess. This is our identity. But according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, this is the game changer. This is the game changer. This is the why Jesus came. It said that he came to take away our sin. That phrase take away literally means what it says, to take away, to remove. It means to take up. But even a weightier word that it means, it means to bear. And so when we read that Jesus was sent to take away our sin, it means that he came to remove our human identity. 
He came to take away who we are and clothe himself in our identity. Do y'all understand at all the weight of what that is saying? Jesus is saying, I'm coming to earth to take away the fact that you are a sinner. I am taking your identity off of you and I am robing myself in the sinner that you are. I'm removing your identity. I have been sent to take away the very person of your human nature. I'm coming to do what you cannot do for yourself. I'm coming to remove the sin of who you are. I'm coming to take away your identity. And Paul writes about that in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, Paul writes, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus knew no sin. Jesus was still not a sinner but he became the object of sin by taking your object of sin off of you and placing it upon himself. I don't know about you, but that is humbling that the perfect spotless lamb of God would become completely messy on our behalf. He would take our mess and robe himself in our mess so that his father's wrath would not land on you, but it would land on himself. Church, that is one of the most humbling things that a follower of Christ can comprehend. That the perfect son of God took my mess from me and clothed himself in it. He didn't become a sinner, but he became sin, is what Paul writes about. And not only did he take that away from us, not only did he remove our identity, but then look what we get in exchange. Verse 17, if you go back just a couple of verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. You see, this is the whole concept of why Jesus came. He came to remove your identity. He came to strip you of your identity. He came to take full responsibility of all of your mistakes. He became to take full responsibility of all of your unholiness. But he said, you know what? I love you enough that I'm gonna remove your identity. I'm gonna wrap myself in it and I'm going to receive the punishment because of what you've done. I'm going to do that for you. And in exchange, I'm taking your identity but I'm gonna give you mine. I'm gonna give you my identity. And that is an identity of righteousness. That's an identity of holiness. And we know without that, you understand that there is no unity with the heavenly father unless we are holy and righteous. But the only way that we're made holy and righteous is by trusting that he came to remove our identity from us and bestowed his identity upon us. He gave us who he is. He did for us 
what we cannot do for ourselves. And just like David was writing, we were born sinners. But in the moment of the Holy Spirit drawing you and and you surrendering to that, you choosing to die to yourself, for you to choose to stop thinking you can save yourself, stop thinking that you can be good enough to earn the love of God, in that moment of surrender, in that moment of trust, in that moment of you stepping out on faith and believing in the finished work of what Jesus has done, in that moment you receive this new identity, this new identity of holiness and righteousness. And this is exactly what we see all through the Bible when it talks about being born again. This is being born again. It means that no, you're not physically born again, but you are spiritually born again, meaning that Jesus Christ has taken your old nature, giving you a new nature, and now you are reborn in the new nature. And that is his nature. That's not our sinful nature anymore. That's why sin is no longer comfortable. That's why sin is no longer fun is because the spirit that we now have living in us conflicts with the spirit that Jesus is saying, I've removed it from you. It's not any fun anymore because it's not who we are anymore. Because now we have the image of God. We are are being made like him. And to be born again is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he addresses it with Nicodemus. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, you must be born again. You must trust that I was sent to remove your identity and to give you mine. You've got to trust that. You've got to trust that that's the reason I was sent. Is I was sent to do what you cannot do for yourself. I was sent to carry your load. I was sent to take on full responsibility of your sin. That is why I was sent. But you see, church, we must trust Jesus in order to get that identity. In order to be born again, we must trust in the finished work of the why Jesus was sent. You can't do it yourself. I can't do it myself. We've got to fully submit and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the second point. The second reason that Jesus was sent, and it's written in verse 8. Verse 8, he writes, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Well, the first thing we have to identify is what are the works of the devil? I'm sure that we all have opinions of what the works of the devil are and know they don't carry human names. Because some of you are going, I know who the work of the devil is. And I've got my arm around him right now because I'm supposed to make everything look good at church today. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. My wife's not here, so I can say that right now. But, so what are the works of the devil? John tells us what the works of the devil are in John chapter eight, verse 44. If you wanna turn there right quick, we're just gonna look at it very briefly. John chapter eight, verse 44. 
we read here, it says that you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Here's the works of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So we see two things that are identified. Now, obviously we could expand on these for hours and for days. But the first thing that we see is that he's identified as a murderer. He's been a murderer from the beginning. Now, simplified, the easiest way we know how to define murderer is this. The devil wants people to die and go to hell. It's that simple. That's what it means for him to be a murderer. It's not necessarily that our physical death, but he wants each and every person that walks the face of this planet to be spiritually murdered. He wants you to die and go to hell. He wants you to die and be forever separated from the heavenly father. Remember the one that wants to bestow his love upon you, the one that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take your identity and give you his. He wants us to die. He wants, you remember we talked about him being a, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He came to seek, to kill, steal, and destroy. That is the works of the devil. He wants all of us to be forever and eternally separated from a father who loves us. And the tool that he uses to do that is exactly what he's called here in that passage. He's called a liar. He's going to exhaust himself. He's gonna to continue to lie to each and every single one of us. He's gonna to continue to lie to unbelievers. He's gonna to continue to lie to blind them of the truth. He's gonna tell us, he's gonna tell the unbelievers. He's gonna say that this world can offer to you peace. This world can give you joy. This world can give you hope. And he wants us to believe those lies. And if he can get an unbeliever to believe those lies and to continue to believe those lies until their life is physically over, then guess what? They are now murdered forever separated from a God who loves them. And you see, that is the church's responsibility is to reveal the truth. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit saturating the world with the good news and the good news is that you can't do it. And because you can't do it, God the Father took full responsibility and said, let me do it for you. Here's my son. But you see, the, the murderer and the liar, he's gonna continue to lie in hopes that people are continually to be murdered, to die and go to hell. But you remember, as we talked a little bit earlier, before one is born again, we talked about that phrase being born again. Before one is born again, you're controlled by the father of sin. You're controlled by the father of lies. You do realize that every person in this room if you're saved by the grace of God, there was a moment in time 
where you were controlled by the father of lies. You were controlled by sin. You were controlled by the murderer. You were controlled by the deceiver because it's who we were. Remember, that's how we were born. We were born a father, uh, a child of the father of lies. That's who we were. It was in our nature because of the fall of man and Adam and Eve. That's exactly what David was just crying out about. He said, I know I've been this way from birth. I know this is the way that I was brought into this world was through sin. But when we're born again, all of that changes. But in that moment, before we met Christ, before we surrendered to Christ, before we trusted Christ, we were controlled by our sin nature. We could all go back to our past and we could identify when we were controlled by our sin nature. I think we can all agree to that. There was a time in, in our lives where we were controlled by the sin in our life. It ruled us. It dictated everything that we do. It dictated everything that we said. It dictated everything, every way that we acted. Because it's who we were. It's our nature. But in the moment of your surrender, in the moment, you can all go back to that time you remember when the Holy Spirit was drawing you to himself. I remember Riverbend Baptist Church as a 12-year-old boy. I remember when I realized, I remember that I was hopeless without a Savior. And I remember the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And look, I believe that God speaks to everyone differently. But I remember that day specifically, my heart was pounding on my chest. My hands were sweating. I had no clue what was going on because to my knowledge, that was the first time the Holy Spirit had ever opened my eyes to the truth. And I believe within me, everything that was in me, there was a part of me that was, that was fearful because I realized in that moment, I can't save myself. I can't fix this. And I've got to trust the one who was sent to fix this. You know, last week in the second service, we had a young lady surrender her heart and her life to Christ. And she came up to the lobby and she told me after service was over, just weeping, she still wasn't over it. And she said, you know, Brian, she said, I was back in the back in the awkward silence, praying that God would wreck my son's life to open his eyes. But she said, as clear as the Holy Spirit has ever spoken to me, God whispered to her and he said, first, I've got to wreck your life. First, I've got to wreck you. Because you know, she had checked all the boxes. She had jumped through all the hoops, but she had never trusted Jesus to remove her identity and give him his, or give her his. She had never done that. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God invaded her life. And if you're a believer saved by the grace of God, in the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit invaded your life to do exactly what we just read in 1 John chapter three, to destroy the works of the devil. 
The Holy Spirit invades your life. He now gives you not only his nature, but he now gives you the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside of you. And it's the very same power that resurrected Jesus Christ after being dead for three days. That lives inside of you. And that power that brought Jesus back to life now has, been, has taken residence in you and gives you the power in you to overcome the works of the devil. And you say, well, what does that mean? The power of the Holy Spirit living in you now gives us the ability to, to recognize the lies from the deceiver. We now recognize what the very tools is the enemy uses to try to keep us blind, to try to keep us from not pursuing Jesus. But the beauty of it is it doesn't stop there. Not only does he give us the power to recognize the lies, but he gives us the power to overcome the temptation that comes with the lies. But guess what, church? We've got to rely on the Father to do that because you don't have it in you. You don't have it in your flesh to overcome the temptations and the lies and the works of the devil. You can't do it. You've got to rely on the Father. The same way Easton relies on me and Chelsea for everything, you've got to rely on your heavenly Father so that you can overcome the lies, so that you can overcome the temptations because you can't do it in your flesh. You can't do it on your own. And the Bible speaks to that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And for us as a follower of Christ, that ought to be the most liberating thought that we could ever hear that there is no temptation that is too big. There is no addiction that is too big. There is no sin that is too big. But church, let me tell you, you can't fight it on your own. You've got to run back to daddy and say, daddy, I need your help. Daddy, I can't do this. And you know what he says? He said, yep, but that's the very reason I was sent is to destroy the works of the devil in your life. That's why I was sent but you have got to rely on me to do it. You've got to rely on me to do it for you because you can't. If we try to do it, church, that's why we continue to get beat up. We continue to get pummeled. We continue to fall back into sin over and over and over again because we don't yet realize that I've got to rely on the finished work of what my father has done. And that power to overcome the works of the devil is alive in you. We just sang because he lives. Do you believe because he lives in you? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can overcome temptation. Because he lives, I can overcome any addiction. Because he lives, I can say no to the lies. Because he lives, I can recognize the liar. Because he lives. And he lives in you. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior. If you've trusted in him, if you've made him the Lord of your life. Church, this is the very reason that we as believers, 
We've got to follow him daily. We've got to walk with him daily. We've got to abide in him. We've got to be in the word. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there's a reason that in 2020, this suicide went through the roof. It's because the enemy, remember, he isolates, he destroys. He didn't, God didn't give us the spirit of fear. It is from the enemy. It is a liar. And what is so heartbreaking is that there was even believers that begin to believe the lies again. But church, we've got to make sure that even as followers of Christ, that we're abiding in him, that we're walking with him daily, that we're staying in tune with the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Because when we're not spending time with the Father, when we're not spending time in the Word, when we're not spending time in prayer, when we're not spending time with our church family, you realize what we're doing is we're suppressing the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're becoming calloused to the very thing that we used to be sensitive to. We've gotta make sure that we're constantly walking with Him. Because church, we've already heard the promise If we'll rely on the Father, he was sent to destroy the work of the devil. He didn't say I was sent so that you could destroy the work of the devil. He said, I was sent and that's the very thing I'm gonna do. If you'll trust me. If you'll trust me. In church, my prayer this whole week for you has been that we would better understand the why Jesus was sent. Why did Jesus come? Yeah, we love to celebrate the fact that he did, but we can't ever forget the why he was sent. He came to take away our sin, which simply means he came to change your identity. He came to change who you are. He came to remove sin and give you righteousness. He came to destroy the work of the devil and destroy the work of the devil means he simply came to reveal the truth. He came simply to reveal the truth. So I have two questions this morning. If you're here this morning and this is a yes or no answer, Have you trusted Jesus to change your identity? Have you trusted Jesus to take your sin, to take your identity, robe himself in the very person that you are and give you, freely give you his identity? To robe you in righteousness, to robe you in holiness. He did for you what you didn't have the ability to do yourself. But have you trusted him with that? 
And you can either answer, yes, I've trusted in that, or no, I have not. And if the answer to no, I have not is, if that's your answer today, you can leave here forever changed. And no, you can't get saved today because you want to. But I can promise you, if the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now, you know it. You're miserable. You're ready for a, a brunch. You're ready to get out of church. Because that Holy Spirit of God, that power is attempting to invade your life. And maybe you're not knowing really what's going on. That's the way I was as a 12 year old. That first night the Holy Spirit got a hold of me at River Bend. I would love to say that I ran to the altar and I submitted and said, God, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you. You know what I did? I packed up and I went home. And through a sleepless night, I remember returning back to church the next night for an old fashioned revival and really walked in curious. Is the Holy Spirit gonna get a hold of me again? And can I tell you the moment that I asked that he did. And as a 44 year old man, I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit didn't leave me alone. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit made me miserable. But if you're miserable here today, call on the name of the Lord and the Bible tells us if you do, He'll save you. But maybe you're here today and you can answer yes. Brian, I've trusted Jesus to change my identity. But you know, in the last month or the last year, I've fallen back into the lies of the enemy. I've picked up old habits. I've dove back into sin. But I gotta remember that that's the very reason he was sent was to destroy that work was to destroy what I've fallen back into. And the reason I've fallen back into it, it's not his fault. It's my fault because I quit listening. It's my fault because I quit walking with him. It's my fault because I separated myself from everything that was holy, from everything that was righteous. Brian, I've separated myself from the word of God. I've separated myself from the fellowship of God. And because of that very reason, my heart has become calloused because of that very reason. My ears have become deaf to the voice of God because I'm not listening. And maybe this morning, all you need to say is, God, I repent. God, I'm sorry. I've trusted you as Savior. And God, today, I want you to open my ears. God, I want you to open my eyes. God, I want you to make hurt what used to hurt again. But the problem is, is in a church, we think that we can't be that real. Well, I'm here, so everybody in the room thinks I've got it together. Jesus didn't come to heal well people. He came to heal sick people. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, 
We've got to continue to stay transparent. We've got to continue to be obedient. We've got to continue to be okay with not being okay. But will you leave your pride where it's at and say, you know what, I've made a mess again. I've quit listening, I've quit walking with him. I've quit abiding him daily. And Brian, I've just become self-dependent again. I'm relying on myself. I'm relying on myself when there was a time when I didn't rely on me at all. I relied on the Father. The Father who wants to do for me what I can't do for myself. I found this quote in a commentary and I'll close with this. It said, his attack, talking about the devil's, His attack on believers is to cause them to not follow Christ so as to keep them from their primary purpose of bringing glory to God and furthering his purpose and plans. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.